This is the Extravagant Promises Podcast, and I'm your host, Gregory. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. This is a podcast about reckoning, recovery, and redemption. We share our experience, strength, and hope. Tonight is episode number 11. Deserves got nothing to do with it. Tonight's episode is going to seem a little free form, a little flowing. Um, I've done that a couple times before, and I hope I hope it flows well and that you like it. Um, but before we begin, as usual, let me first say that this podcast is an act of service on my part. It's something that I am trying to do for the recovery community. And as part of my program of recovery and part of my journey to help me connect to my higher power and to stay sober and invest in my own spiritual recovery, it is not an AA meeting. And I do not hold this out as an AA meeting. It is something to learn, to help share, and to be a candle that is lit and that you can light your candle to uh, in the darkness. But please do not take this as being something that can supplant or sit in the place of an AA meeting or a regular meeting. We and I specifically encourage everyone to be sober, go to meetings every day if you can or as often as you can, get a sponsor, work the steps with your sponsor, and then turn and sponsor other men and women. It's a very simple program, and I promise you before you're halfway done, you will see the promises come true. It happened for me. It will happen for you as well. I'm not a therapist. I have spent countless hours and thousands of dollars in therapy, and I absolutely adore my therapist. Um, she is incredible. But I'm not a therapist, and please don't take anything that I say as um, mental health or fit medical advice upon which you can count. I am totally inexperienced when it comes to medical or mental health training, and I only know what I've endured, what I've, where I've succeeded, where I've failed, um, and I share my stories. Nothing more, nothing less. Finally... And I hope this goes to inspire people to share this podcast with someone else or anyone else who might benefit from it is that I will take no financial remuneration or support for this podcast. I do not ask for money and I will not accept money. I just want people to listen because they're getting something out of it. And if you're not or if you think you could, if I did something different, please communicate with me. My, I may be reached at extravagant promises podcast at gmail.com or on the internet at instagram at extravagant promises podcast dm me send a leave a message on one of my feeds or however that is I'm, i may be misstating that i'm sure my kids will punish me for social media faux pas but um either way please reach out to me uh, a number of people have and it, it really inspires me to keep going and um, I, I love doing this because I love being able to share my stories of 
experience strength and hope, and I hope that it helps just one person. Annabelle Lee by Edgar Allan Poe. It was many and many a year ago in a kingdom by the sea that a maiden there lived whom you may know by the name of Annabelle Lee. And this maiden she lived with no other thought than to love and be loved by me. I was a child and she was a child in this kingdom by the sea. But we loved with a love that was more than love, I and my Annabelle Lee. With a love that the winged seraphs of heaven coveted her and me. And this was the reason that long ago in this kingdom by the sea, a wind blew out of a cloud, chilling my, my beautiful Annabelle Lee. So that her high-born kinsmen came and bore her away from me to shut her up in a sepulcher in this kingdom by the sea. The angels, not half so happy in heaven, went envying her and me. Yes, that was the reason, as all men know, in this kingdom by the sea. That the wind came out of the cloud by night, chilling and killing my Annabel Lee. But our love, it was stronger by far than the love of those who were older than we of many far wiser than we, and neither the angels in heaven above nor the demons down under the sea can ever dissever my soul from the soul of the beautiful Annabel Lee. For the moon never beams without bringing me dreams of the beautiful Annabel Lee, and the stars never rise, but I feel the bright eyes of the beautiful Annabel Lee. And so all the night tide I lie down by the side of my darling, my darling, my life and my bride in her sepulcher there by the sea, in her tomb by the sounding sea. So uh, you may wonder why did I quote that or, or read that. First, it's just a great poem. I love Edgar Allan Poe. I went to the same college that Edgar Allan Poe went to and uh, used to be a tour guide at said college, and they would they would uh i would point out the room on the range 13 west range where supposedly he lived or or they made the room kind of like a little museum room for edgar Allan poe and so i feel this connection to poe i also lived on what was called the lawn at this particular college and um uh so you know maybe i feel all special about myself <laughs> having lived there and and that, that kind of ties into something that I, I want to um, talk about and it's you know envy um, and luck and good fortune and I think that a lot of a lot of us uh, in the in recovery you know um, we have a lot of envy and we have a lot of resentment I think that if you were going to pin anything any one emotion or characteristic at the heart, if you're going to just have to identify one thing that lies at the heart of almost all substance abuse, codependency, it, it's, it's resentment. Um, and, and obviously there, there's so many little, little tangled webs that spin off of resentment, self-loathing, a lack of being unworthy of love, of undeserving. And, so the word deserve and um, and whether you're worthy of something has been also inextricably intertwined in my life. And 
you know, I've talked about some of the abuse that I suffered as a child and growing up and the, and the bullying and things like that at the hands of, you know, particular family members, but then also at the hands of others. And, you know, I often ask myself like, why, you know, I don't always ask myself in terms of when I was a real child and it was happening because I was a child, you know, but as I grew older, like, why did I let that happen? You know, why did I, why did, did I deserve it? You know, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. Did I, did I deserve it? Did I, did I ask for it? Did I, did I, what was it about me that made me feel like when I was told, insulting things about me by friends or so-called friends, you know, what was it that made me believe it? Or why did I, why did I let it be believed? And I did believe it. You know, I thought I was worthless and that continued up for decades up through my divorce. You know, I was like, I've said, and and I don't want to harp on it too much. I'm in a great place today, but you know, like I was called a piece of shit and all this and and I would go into the rooms and I would cry in, in meetings saying, you know, I'm irredeemable. I'm unworthy of forgiveness. I mean, you know, and, and I thought about that, like, you know, I'm, I'm, it wasn't that I was saying, oh, I deserve better or I'm not, I don't deserve to be treated. I was, I was the exact opposite. I was saying, I totally deserve this. You know, I'm, I deserve to be at the bottom of the earth, you know, with just, just, and that was just so completely wrong. Um, just so wrong. And, and it's funny because, um, you know, I think back to when I was 18 years old and I was, I was going to the college where Edgar Allan Poe went and to live in the area of this college where Edgar Allan Poe lived is a great honor. And it's an honor that's bestowed upon a small, tiny percentage, only 40 some kids, um, of the rising senior class, or at, as they're called, a, a different name at this particular college, but um, the um, you get so 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 it's a big deal, um, and it's really cool to be among those honored in that way, and um, and it's called the lawn, and the lawn is. Um, is where you live if you're selected in this group. And it was the original spot of this college that was when it was founded um, back in 1819. And so you can trace everyone who's lived in a particular room on the lawn or the range where Edgar Allan Poe lived all the way back to the founding of the college or university. And, um, And when I was there as a first year at that school, um, my mother pulled me aside and said, your father told me that it would be a cold day in hell if you ever got selected to live on the lawn. And, you know, it's like even all these years later, you know, it's interesting how my reaction was, was, you know, I wasn't surprised at all that they that they felt that way about me. Um, it was like they hated me, you know, and, and they and everything that I achieved. Um, my mother would quickly tell me that it was not it was not mine. I had I'd only gotten it because of them and that I didn't deserve it. 
I, I had, you know, I should have done even better. But, and the only reason I got it was because, because they pulled strings or something like that. It was a total fabrication, a total lie. But I believed it, you know, and, um, and, and so therefore I felt that everything I got, I didn't deserve. And I felt that I didn't deserve happiness. I didn't deserve love. I didn't deserve to be comforted. And, and so it was interesting that I wasn't surprised at all when my mother told me that you, you it'll be a cold day in hell when you live there. And interesting, my reaction was that I, be, I had three, three kind of reactions. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to curse in a second, so I apologize to my listeners because I know, you know profanity offends no one, but sometimes I've got to just speak my truth. So number one was I wasn't surprised. And that's telling. You know, if you insult a child or you say something like that, and they're that age, and, they, and they're not surprised that you're insulting them, you got some problems as a parent, you know. Um, number two, I believed him. You know, I believed him. Yeah, I'm not worthy of this. I'm not worthy of that kind of an accolade. I'm a piece of shit who only skated in here because of my last name or something like that, you know. And that was also a falsehood and, and just horrible. But number three, and this is where we get back to it, you know, inside me. There's something, there's a light that shines inside me. There's a fire that burns and it could never be extinguished. And it wasn't, they didn't create it. They couldn't beat it out of me. You know, but it was there. And that fire said, fuck you. And, you know, yeah, that's, it's not today. What is What do we say to the God of death? Not today. Fuck you. Pride. And four years later, I called my father and I asked his nurses or, you know, whatever to interrupt surgery. And all I said was a cold day in hell has arrived. And, I, you know, and, and it's amazing. Like, you know, he's never said, you know, hey, I'm sorry I said that. Or, or you know, he, he kind of chuckled like, you know, I didn't think you had it in you. You know, I mean, it's just like, what the heck does that say about you as a parent? And so I was thinking about all that, like deserving you know, deserves got nothing to do with it. That's a quote from the great movie, Academy Award winning movie, Unforgiven from, I think it was 1992, maybe 91. And, um, you know, where Clint Eastwood standing over Gene Hackman's character, the sheriff and little Bill. And, you know, uh, Clint's character, has got the gun trained on him, the rifle. And he says, um, you know, Gene Hackman's character, Little Bill says, I don't deserve this. And then he said, and Clint says, deserves got nothing to do with it. That's true. You know, deserves got nothing to do with it. We all deserve everything good and bad, you know, and, 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 and it's, it's just life. So I thought that I would start off with a poem by Edgar Allan Poe and kind of like about loss and love. And it's just such a good poem anyway. But, you know, kind of bring me back to that, that, that space where he lived. And I lived not far from where he lived. And, uh, and being told, you know, cold day in hell. Well, guess what? You know, there are a lot of cold days in hell that have arrived that I've achieved and things like that. One of them is staying sober for a lot of days. A lot of months, and not not not, but yeah, you know, a couple number of years too.
And, uh, you know, that that's mine. I did that. I reached down inside and I went, I went and I, I, I asked God to send me an angel to send me a hero. And they sent me a room full of heroes and a program full of angels. And we did it together. Yeah. It deserves got nothing to do with it. Um, so, you know, we talk about sometimes when, when you're, we talk about good luck. You know, we talk about, about good fortune and there are certain things that, that are, that are just the luck of the draw. I mean, if you were born in the United States, um, and I'm not getting into politics or any of that stuff or immigration, but let's face it. I mean, you know, we were, we were, we were, we were dealt a good hand if we were born in the United States for the most part, you know, now if you were born in a particular social strata or economic strata and with certain genetic, you know, let's say without certain genetic or physical limitations or mental limitations. And, you know, you've, you're, you got even a higher leg up, but that's, that's, that's a small part of it. You know, to say that someone got lucky you know, the, the universe doesn't work that way. And I'm sorry, it doesn't. You know, seven years ago, my best friend asked me to, if I would be willing to take care of certain obligations. Um, and you know what? I'll just, I'll just tell you this story. I've mentioned it in before. I also listened to my podcast the other day and I caught myself, I do a lot of, maybe we'll talk about that in another podcast or I, as I've mentioned, and I hope I don't annoy people in doing that. I mean, I just have, there's just this giant body of experiences that I would love to share. Um, but you know, I went to this high school up in Massachusetts in the eighties, in the early eighties. And I was just this little kid from Louisiana and I met young men there who I formed lifelong relationships with that were amazing. And I talked about those in my first podcast about friendship and, um, to have a friend and things like that. Um, and you know, one of those young men, um, he and I were really, really, really close, and we formed a uh, a bond, and we and we promised each other that we would take care of each other because we said, "Look, you know, the odds are that one of us is going to do pretty well, and one of us will probably be a complete fuck up, you know. But but <laughs> hopefully, we both won't be, and hopefully, we can we can we can." Uh, uh, and hopefully that, you know, that, that's what we were saying. So, so we formed this thing. It was called the pact. And we said, look, we'll take care of each other. And ultimately, um, we, I mean, we, we, we traveled together. We lived together. He was in my wedding. He's godfather to my kids. Um, I was very close with him. And uh, in 2011, he called me up and he asked me to do him a favor and he asked me to do him a favor and 
and forgive me if I, I just I'm I'm really worried about rambling way too much and being too unfocused here. But but this is just one of these things about deserving and luck and things. I I built a friendship with this man, and he was in lots of regards my soulmate. I loved him. He loved me. I'm not, at least I don't believe that I'm gay. Um, and we were never romantic or intimate or anything like that. But in all other regards, as two, as two brothers can, can grow and, and travel and experience things together, we did those things. And, and I did, I did love him with all my heart. And he asked me in 2011, he, he had gone through a lot of struggles himself, uh, with, um, abuse and, um, and he, he had moved to Thailand and he asked me to do him a favor. And I said, yes. And then, um, in April of 2012, he called me up and he was in the States and he said, listen, I want to fly down for the night to see you. Um, and I'm going to, I want to take the girls, my two daughters, who I've spoken about. I want to take them out to dinner and I want to see you because I'm going to leave for Thailand in a couple days. And this time I'm not coming back for at least a year. Um, so you're going to have to come over there and see me. And I said, fine, you know, come on down, check, you know, so he came down and we hung out and we talked about plans and we talked about what we wanted to do in life and some other things. And we talked about that pact, you know, the thing that the favor he had asked me, but also, um, we talked about this thing. We had written it down. We called it the pact. And it was, it was like this mutual support agreement kind of thing. And, and it was still there. You know, I'm in my forties. He's in his forties. And that was mid April. It was a little bit after tax time, maybe like a day or two. So, you know, April 16th, 17th, somewhere in there. Um, I emailed with him or texted with him. Um, I believe it was email in early May around Mother's Day of that year, 2012. We were talking about some, some very important things to him. His mother had committed suicide in 2000, and he really felt that his father had been to blame in some emotionally you know, entangled way. Uh, and his father had sent him a missive on Mother's Day, you know, trying to, I think trying to reconnect, but just in a real callous way. And I commented, you know, I find it really reprehensible that this is the day he chose to reach out to you after everything he's done. Um, I don't know if we spoke much or talked much in the week or two after that, but I got a, I got a call on May 31st, 2012 that changed my life forever. My best friend had died suddenly and tragically the day before in Thailand. And it turned out that the favor that he had asked me, it, it turned out to be about his business and his assets and things that he had put into a trust. And um, it's a long story and I won't get into it, but um, I ended up having to essentially... I, and let me just say this, like, I am not a good businessman, or I certainly didn't know what I was doing, but I had to come in and help run his business, basically. And um, he died without a wife, without without kids, you know. And um, 
And my daughters were beneficiaries of, of his trust, um, among others, you know, and, and, um, and so the reason I talk about that is because people talk about, you're so lucky, you know, you're lucky. And let me just say this, luck's, luck's got nothing to do with it. Deserves got nothing to do with it. I would give every red cent back to whoever if I could have him here for one more day. If I could look him in the eyes and tell him that I love him and just tell him how much he meant to me as kids, as adults, as men, you know, how much I wanted him to, he would have been the best husband for a woman on earth. He would have been the best father on earth and he never got the chance. I would give everything I have for one day with him, for one hour with him to just tell him those things. I love you, man. I love you. And I'm so sorry you're gone. But when people tell me, oh, you're so lucky, that isn't luck. I didn't I didn't I didn't become captain of a varsity sport at a elite, aggressive, hardcore school in northwestern Massachusetts, freezing my ass off as a fourteen year old, you know, fifteen hundred miles away from home because of luck. You know, I didn't get into a top college because of luck or because somebody pulled strings. I didn't go to professional school and all the other things because of luck. I didn't build my own business because of luck. It was because I worked my ass off. I bled and I sweated. And every time for 50 years, I let people convince me that somehow I was just like this, you know, I just kept winning the lottery every freaking day of my life because I was, you know, not, not like I deserved it at all, you know. Um, I built a relationship with that man and he built one with me and I would have done the exact same thing for him and, you know, and his, his children, if he had had any, you know, and luck had nothing to do with it. Ladies and gentlemen, you don't, you don't, your sobriety isn't about luck. You're fortunate to have the program We're good. It's good fortune that it's there, but you're not lucky. Just it, it didn't luck. It wasn't some dumb luck that got you in the rooms. It's your best thinking that got you in the rooms, but goodness gracious, it's a, it's amazing that you're there, but it's it's you and it's your program and it's your higher power and it's that triumvirate that kept you there and kept you working. You know? If you if you relapse, you're going to say, "Well, I just got unlucky. I fell face first into a shot glass of Jameson." No. Well, it wasn't luck that kept you sober and it wasn't luck that got you drunk. You know, and I just, I get so upset now when I think about how many years I lost feeling like, you know, it's a cold day in hell when, you know, it's like, because, you know, the cold day in hell because, because I'm not deserving of it. And so if I get it, it must be for some dumb luck or somebody else did it for me, you know? And I, and, and I understood where President Obama was coming from when he was like, you didn't do this. 
You know, yeah, we all sit on the shoulders of other men and women, but there was something that kind of rubbed me the wrong way on that is, you know what? Hold on a second. We all do this. You know, we all do this every day. And to say, well, you didn't do this. Like you, you, you owe it to someone else. That's, that is, yes, we sit on the shoulders of everyone who ever came before us, the dinosaurs too, you know, but that doesn't mean that you don't deserve it. It doesn't mean you didn't earn it. I'm going to say this and apologize, but fuck that. You know, you earned this. You deserve it. You deserve to be happy. You deserve to be sober. You know, you, you have, you, you, you are worthy of love. You are worthy of sobriety. You are worthy of serenity. You are worthy of self-respect and, and of, and of, and of an honorable life and an honorable treatment by people. You are worthy of those things. I'm worthy of those things. Don't ever let anybody tell you different. And don't listen to it. And don't listen to yourself. Self-talk doesn't get a seat at the board of visitors. If it's a board of uh, uh, of directors in your in your your mind, if 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 you're if that's the kind of language you're using with yourself, no. Mm-mm. You know, it's interesting because we talk about like deserve, and you think you know, and 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 this is. Something that I, I know I harp on a lot, but you know the gender differences in a, in the abuse community, and when they talk about recovery and those of us who are survivors of abuse, you know, um, you think about it. It's like think about the phrase "Hell hath no fury as a woman scorned." You know how many times that gets used um, in divorce, and you know, all's fair in love and war. You know, and it's like it's like it's just another form of saying you deserved it. Hell hath no fury as a woman scorned, so she can drain your bank account, call you a faggot, uh, you know, slander and defame you to your kids, take all your, you know, just do all those things uh, because because you deserve it. Hell no, hell no. You know, and I'm not trying to turn anybody off or get anybody, you know, in gender wars or anything like that. It's just I'm a man. I was abused by a woman. And I was horribly mistreated by my ex in our divorce proceedings. And every time something came up and I was like, I can't believe that people get away with this kind of treatment. And it was, and it was just like, ha, ha, ha. You know, as my friend Eamon told me, over in England, they did a study where they showed, you know, a woman's up against the wall in, near a restaurant and a man's got his finger in her face and he's pointing at her and he's yelling real loud. People will come over and intervene and ask her, are you okay? If you switch the roles and the man's up against the wall and the woman's yelling at him, pointing the finger, two things happen. One is they sit and laugh at the man. And two, if they're going to intervene, they go up to the woman and say, are you okay? Even though you're slapping or you're yelling and screaming at this man. And it's just, it's, you know, think about that. You know, think about that. I've had, uh, you know, well, I'm really rambling a little bit tonight, but, you know, it's just that resentment. But, you know, it's like somehow, somehow the the worst cut of all was this notion. I, I got the shit kicked out of me, you know, and it's like, and, and, but with the worst cut of all and the worst bruise of all was the one where it was like, I was unworthy. I was of love. I was unworthy of the, the honors or the accolades that I achieved and that, and that they weren't mine. 
that I wasn't entitled to, to have them because I didn't deserve it. It was just somebody else's. Cold day in hell. Probably should have called this podcast a cold day in hell. Um, well, I've been rambling so much. I was going to read this Robert Frost poem um, called Servant to Servant. Um, I'm calling it back up here. And the reason I was going to read it is there's a great phrase. Um, it's called a servant to servants, excuse me, circa 1915, Robert Frost, you know, I'm like, Ooh, get some Robert Frost anyway. Um, but there's a great phrase where the poem says, Len says one steady pull more ought to do it. He says the best way out is always through. And I agree to that insofar as that I can see no way out but through least ways for me and then they'll be convinced you know I mean there's just so much built into those lines um, and it's a giant poem and I decided that I wouldn't read the entire thing to you and bore you even more than I already have um, but let me just say this in closing ladies and gentlemen girls and boys you know um, you are worthy. You know, I'm not trying to do that, you know, that, what was it, the, 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 that Al Franken, you know, and gosh darn it, you're people like you, you know, no, I'm not doing that. But I mean, we are the children of suffering. We are the children of, of, of recovery. And you, you are worthy. You're worth, you are meant to be here. You are here. And you deserve your place on this earth. And you are worthy of everything you've gotten, everything you've clawed your way to have, every ounce of your happiness. And you're worthy of your sufferings. We've talked about that. And I want you to think about this tomorrow. You know, own, own, your, your, own your happiness. Own your life. You deserve it. You know, you deserve whatever it is you want, and you can get it, and it's not owed to somebody else. You know, give thanks and appreciation for the help you've gotten along the way. Sure, the shoulders you've stood on, but this was yours. Own it. And if you've got kids, for God's sake, don't burden them with the notion that they owe you anything. You owe them they didn't choose you. You chose to have children. You know, consider it a privilege and an honor to be their parent. You know, sometimes you might have to mete out a little bit of tough love in terms of not giving them what they want. But, you know, understand that they don't owe you anything. You owe them for the privilege of being their parent. They've, they deserve to have the life they want. And the deserve to have the life that they can achieve. And if you can help them, great. But it's theirs. And that goes for your employees or your bosses or the people you work with, the people you live with, your husband, your wife, your cousins, whoever. You know, let them own their lives and own yours. You deserve it. And maybe I'll just say this is that, you know what? 
deserves got everything to do with it in the good way. You know, I hate it when it's used in the sense of like, well, you know, you're, you're a low down. Well, you know, no. Deserves got everything to do with it. And you deserve to be happy. You are worthy of both your sufferings and your loves and your happiness. We talk about, I'm going I'm to leave you with one, one little story there, one little thought that I, that I have before I go. Um, when I was a kid, I had a bunch of friends down to Florida to, you know, we were all hanging out in a beach house and, um, and we got to go on a sailboat trip, you know, like one of these things where you charter like a sailboat, you know, you sail it around. I thought I knew how to sail, but I didn't know how to sail like a boat like this. And there was a captain, you know, it was just a single guy. He was, he was a captain. He was, he looked like Jimmy Buffett, you know, like maybe he had a ponytail, maybe he didn't, maybe he had hair, <laughs> I don't know, but he, he just seemed like the coolest cat there could be, you know, with his kind of untied boat shoes and tanned and, you know, a little bit pudgy, be kind of drinking a beer and knew how to sail and stuff. And I thought, man, this guy has got it dialed in. You know, he looked like he was about 70, but he's probably about 35. Anyway, I was in my teens still. And he pulled me aside and he said, he said, let me tell you something. He said, life is pay me now or pay me later. And he said, you know, you're looking, you think this is cool, like me hanging out here, sailing you around for a few dollars on a boat. He goes, I partied my way through my teens and my 20s. You know, I didn't go to school. I didn't do what I needed to do. And so now, you know, I've got, I've got stresses and anxieties that I didn't have or that I didn't think I'd have. You know, he said, it's pay me now or pay me later. I never forgot that, you know. But let me add this to you, that this is something that I learned in recovery. Life isn't pay me now or pay me later. It's pay me now and pay me later. You can do everything right. And you're still going to come up against something like cancer or the death of your best friend like I did. You're still going to fall down. You're divorced or you're going to, you know, life, life doesn't, doesn't, you don't, you don't get to get to a place where you've done enough work. You, you know, um, like they say, it didn't alcohol was them. It's alcoholism. It's a daily reprieve, ladies and gentlemen. And, you know, that's why we work the program. That's why we feel loved and worthy. So tomorrow I can stay sober. Tomorrow I can, I can work the steps. Tomorrow I can, I can pass the torch to another suffering person. You know, it's pay me now and pay me later. And if you don't keep paying, you know, that adversity, that tiger that's out there in the jungle just waiting for you to just slip up, man, it's, it's going to get you. You know, so it's every day, it's pay me now and pay me later. Go out there. You deserve everything you've got. And you're worthy of everything. Be worthy. If we're painstaking about the, this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. We're going to know a new freedom and a new happiness. We will not regret the past, nor wish to shut the door on it. We will comprehend the word serenity, and we will know peace. No matter how far down the scale we have gone, we will see how our experience can benefit others. That feeling of uselessness and self-pity will disappear. We will lose interest in selfish things and gain interest in our fellows. Self-seeking will slip away.
Our whole attitude and outlook upon life will change. Fear of people and of economic insecurity will leave us. We will intuitively know how to handle situations which used to baffle us. We will suddenly realize that God is doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. Are these extravagant promises? We think not. They are being fulfilled among us, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. They will always materialize if we work for them. God, tonight, please allow me, if it be thy will, to feel worthy, to feel worthy of your love and to, have the wor to be worthy of, of the world's love and the universe's love. Please let all the listeners to this podcast and everyone who's out there suffering inside and outside the rooms, please let them have a moment of worthiness where they feel worthy of your love, God. Amen.